Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. Hi, Fran. Sorry. I think just recording here. Hang on. Sorry I'm a few minutes late. Shame. No, I was literally just grabbing a coffee, though. Don't be silly. Are you actually annoyed? Shame. <laughs> oh, I said, right, we're going straight in then, are we? I see how Shame. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes, our guest this week is Hannah Waddingham. It's Hannah Waddingham. Shame, The lovely Tom. Hannah Waddingham, who uh, listeners may remember as Scepter Unella the vicious nun in Game of Thrones. And if you haven't sent the shame gif to your friends, you are missing out. It's a beauty. But she's more than a nasty nun. Uh... <laughs> that she is. I mean, if you haven't seen her in Game of Thrones, as Tom said, you know, emerge from the rock that you've been under, you will definitely know her for Ted Lasso, where she plays Rebecca. Her character is amazing in it. What a series, yeah. And it's such a heartwarming series as well. Award-winning so series. Award-winning series. Obviously, she won an Emmy herself last year, which was so heartwarming, so lovely to see. But she's done so much more. She's in Sex Education. She is. You know, she's Jackson's mum, Sophia. Uh, she's been in the, the theatre. That's really her background, isn't it? Yeah, she's done Shakespeare, but also musical theatre. And not only has she been doing musical theatre, she's clearly been killing it because she's been nominated three times for an Olivier Award. Super talented, super likeable, just a very, very lovely person. Uh, so we're very happy that we've got a time with her before she starts filming season three of Ted Lasso. Yeah, we managed to sneak in a chat, which is our favourite thing to do. <laughs> so here it is, Hannah Waddingham on Plot Twist. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. You've... Uh, You've been on Ellen recently, Super Bowl ad, and now you're on Plot Twist. It's uh, We're delighted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for asking me. You've had some cracking guests. Well, we just seem to be adding to it with you on. Are you in a bit of downtime now? Because obviously Ted Lasso is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're filming soon. So is, is, is this downtime or is it? Absolutely not downtime at all. <laughs> I think because we've pushed back three weeks, um, I think my my team went, right, we've got three weeks. What can we do with that? And I feel like I've been <laughs> more all over the place than ever. LA, New York in one week, then back, then Milan, then here and there. And But I suppose because the way my publicist sees it, you know, she's going to lose me for nearly, well, like five months as soon as we mm. start shooting March through to July. So... <laughs> I mean, I get it. They're getting their pound of flesh and striking while the iron's hot. But um, no, I would love there to have been. I did, actually, I'm slightly lying. I did make sure I had a bit of downtime with my daughter last week for half term. I tried to be dutiful mummy oh, cute. and catch up with the most important person. Absolutely. Oh. 
Do you enjoy those sort of the big American talk shows, so the Kimmels and the Ellens? Do you enjoy that experience? Is it quite yeah, daunting? Yeah, I do. I suppose it's such a different thing from that which we have here. I mean, it's it's a full on. It's almost like a rite of passage mm. um, doing stuff like that. And they are all so professional, mm. so lovely. And you come off it feeling really exhilarated. There is a reason why the people that do those, like you say, the Kimmels of the world, Ellen, uh, I've got Drew Barrymore's one coming out tomorrow. Oh, um, Which, by the time this goes out, will be yesterday. <laughs> Quick maths there. Um, there's a reason why those people do them and they are extremely dynamic people endlessly watchable and fascinating themselves so um yeah it's always a pleasure and and as soon as i'm asked to do one of those i always try to make it happen because like i said before these things don't come around very often and i think you should strike while the iron's hot like i am with you guys love it love it um we've got a bit of a I mean, perhaps less professional than Kimmel, but we've got a bit of a silly round where we like to ask a few silly questions. So, Fran. Come on, then. I love <laughs> Yeah, silly we noted round. that in one of your interviews, you called yourself a little bit of a silly sausage, which, <laughs> which we really latched onto. And we think of ourselves as silly sausages. So we're going to call this like the silly sausage round in love your honour. Love it. Love it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is, Anyone listening to this interview will know that you're an amazing singer. Now, I occasionally have dabbled in a bit of singing on the podcast, much to Tom's dismay, Lovely. and it's definitely nowhere near your level. And But I can rule myself out of this question. But if you had to pick someone to do a duet with, who would be your dream person to duet with? Oh. Because you've had Buble. I know, Buble's not too shabby, is he? I would say <laughs> I would love to do a trio, actually, with... Two people who I know Ooh. have duetted before, which would be Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Oh, lovely. Yeah, because Tony Bennett be. is, wow. has still totally got it and then some, and his musicality is just magnificent. And Lady Gaga, regardless of all the showy side of her, she has the most beautiful, warm tone and was born to sing, that woman. So that would be mm. just a jaw-dropping pleasure for me. It really would. I would pay to see that. I mean, talking of people that were born to perform in that sense, I saw, I think you put it on Twitter the other day, it was uh, a performance you did at Our Gay Wedding that was on Channel 4 a few yeah. years ago, I believe. And my God, you hit a note and it's that sort of reaction where you like straighten your back and your eyes <laughs> pop out. I mean, what do you call that? What's that, that was, must, is that a particular... I don't know. I call it... That's what I call it. <laughs> Um, I um, sorry for the listeners. Um, that is a weird thing. It's like a wailing part of your voice that I seem to have, even when I've got like a cold or a chest infection. That part of my voice up there is always intact. Touchwood. It's very strange. And that day, I was just on the verge. I when I listen to that, I absolutely cringe because I can hear that I'm moving my voice around bits that aren't in my chest voice because I was six and a half months pregnant I think I was nearly mm. seven months pregnant and oh. was on the verge of a chest infection I didn't realize it until I got home that day oh, and my wow. other half said to me why are you going out when you're that much pregnant and you've got you're not feeling <laughs> great and I was like because I didn't want to let my my friends down so I just got on with it but when I've whenever I've watched that back I've just thought oh love you weren't well <laughs> Oh, no, I thought you were sensational. Unbelievable. I just crazy. It's amazing Gosh. that 
it's amazing we watch something like that and we're like falling over in shock about how great it is and you're like oh I can just hear it's not quite right very self-critical singers say I can hear myself going around the houses vocally to try and I'm thinking can I have I got that there no I'm gonna have to ah, ah, try and find where it isn't suffering oh no my eyes popped out it really was one of those reactions it was awesome um there's a lot made about your sort of uh, this exposure, I suppose, that you've had with Ted Lasso that, especially nowadays, shows are so sort of easily accessible and, and around the world that you do get this instant sort of next level of fame. Yeah. Uh, and you've spoken about some of the interactions that you've had where people have come up to you in the street. What are, what are some of the more sort of out there, more interesting, <laughs> bizarre interactions you might you may have had with a fan the main one that I do find quite bizarre because I just don't see Rebecca like that is I get mostly here and in New York and LA mostly women of a certain age coming up and going thank you you're me you're me I was divorced last year and you're me and I feel like going but there are funny moments as well. <laughs> but I love it because they feel like they feel like they they kind of have a companion in Rebecca. Mm. And I have to say, I I mean, joking aside, once I've given them the you know rub on the back and said it's cool, I take it very 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 seriously playing this part because mm. I know the responsibility I have, and I'm always checking in with Jason and Brendan and and all of the writers to say. Can we tweak this word here? Can I be a bit less this or a bit more that there? Because I have realised the responsibility I have to show someone, regardless of man or woman, someone at that point in their lives trying to maintain what I would say like a swan-like exterior and panicking <laughs> like all shittery underneath. So I understand why they do it, but it never ceases to make me just slightly laugh in it because it's so endearing but it makes me realize that all the extra mile that I go to to make Rebecca well-rounded and jaggedy at the same time makes me realize it's worthwhile. We're going to come on to Ted Lasso and Rebecca later because to say I'm a super fan is an understatement but just to add on to that I think the beauty about her character is there's so many different parts of her that different people can relate to like you say mm. very multifaceted strong businesswoman vulnerable going through a particular time of her life best friend you know I, I just think there's so many parts that it must be quite fascinating because people will connect with and identify with all of the different sides of her character absolutely and that's what appealed to me about it but it was almost like the writing is so good that I got a sense of that without realising its or her depth. Because when I auditioned for it, I had only seen bits of, not even the entire pilot. So I knew mm. there was the, the speech about, you know, the whole rusty cricket bat thing, um, <laughs> all of that business. And I knew that she was trying to get back at her husband and burning to the ground the one thing that he'd ever really loved. But I knew nothing about Rupert. I knew nothing about Keely. Mm. I added for myself, bizarrely, because I wanted to give her more of a reason to be so distraught and so on her knees and so trying to deliver this icy exterior. I wanted to, for myself, create things that gave me a real reason for shutting people out 
down to the fact mm. that she is immaculately tailored was was my idea to have her absolutely immaculate so that nobody comes near her. Um, but I didn't know anything about all of the other layers that you're talking about. But I did myself add in the fact that she had wanted to have children, but Rupert had always avoided it. And then cut to episode nine when he says he's having a child with somebody else. And I honestly, my jaw nearly dropped off. I, I said to Jason today, because I was just like, have we ever discussed the fact that in my head, I've told myself that she's missed the boat. And he went, no. I was like, I find that really weird that that I had created mm. all of that in my head and then it came to fruition. Very odd. It's incredible. Um, we've definitely got more to talk about with Ted Lasso because uh, it's just <laughs> both super fans. But uh, we talk about bizarre interactions there. What about bizarre situations? If you, and this is a particular favourite of ours that we constantly ask others, uh, if you found yourself in death row... I don't know how you'd get there, but if, yeah. if you did, what would be your last meal? It would have to involve crisps. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolute crisp whore. Um, <laughs> what would be my last meal? It would probably... Be, well, part of me feels like it would have to be something Italian, because I love Italian food. Um, mm. A really beautiful garlic butter roast chicken, skin on crunchy skin that I would devour, <laughs> beautiful rosemary, rose potatoes, and uh. a crisp salad with a mustard, garlic, lime, olive oil, vinaigrette. I mean, it's wow. lunchtime and I'm salivating at the thought of that. You're welcome. <laughs> mm. I get you on the crisp thing. Obviously a dirty, dirty, dark, dark, dark chocolate mousse. Mm. Yeah. Just to finish it off. What were you saying about the crisps? I said, I get you on the crisp thing. My fiancé always says, I'm like, you know, the sort of golden cats, which the hand goes up and down <laughs> continuously. He's like, if there's ever a bowl of crisps in the room, that's what you look like in and out, just <laughs> until it's gone. Well, I can't even share crisps with anyone. I feel myself get a bit of a twitchy eye. If I were having to share crisps with anybody, I don't care who you are, even my daughter. I just think, don't take too many. What's your crisp of choice? I like an old school, really, really cheap, nasty supermarket own brand. None of your flash Ponzi stuff. None of your <sighs> lardy dars. I won't mention any brands. Interesting. But I like the ones that are so cheap and nasty, they take the roof off your mouth. <laughs> are they like the sort of salt and vinegar twirls or the bacon crisp Yeah, things? the really... Well, I mean, I love all of those, all the frazzles and the squares and the, all those. But I like absolute bog standard, you know, a Sainsbury's or a Waitrose or a Tesco or a Little or a wherever, when the maxi packs, I could happily go through an entire thing myself, have a tactical vomit and start again. I love it. And you must get asked this question all the time, but I have to ask, Ted brings Rebecca a biscuit every morning, but if it was your biscuit that was being brought to you, what would be in the little box? It would be, again, I mean, you're really getting the measure of me with these answers because there's nothing la da about me at all. It would be an <laughs> old school McVitie's dark chocolate digestive. Oh, mm. nice. Good I choice. I mean, I don't think you can improve on that for me. Can't beat it. Yeah, that's in my top three. Yeah. What are your others? Hobnob probably would be the number one. Yes, just, number one. Because yeah. mm. you yeah, feel like you're being good one. with oats. <laughs> <laughs> that would be number one. And then... What would be number two? Oh, so digestive number, number three. That would be number three, yeah. I quite like, I like those, those Italian ones that have like get. the coffee icing on top. 
Mm. Or mm. an old school party ring. <sighs> that's a shout. Can't knock a party ring. Stem ginger dark chocolate. That's a cheeky minx as well. <laughs> mm. As Tom said, it's a pretty hard-hitting podcast. We ask the really serious <laughs> questions. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, let's, let's move to a more serious question. Let's ask uh, our first plot twist question. Um, this is sort of centred around life and career. For all of us in everyday life, we have some form of plot twist, you know, an unexpected moment. For you, Hannah, what would be your standout plot twist in your life? Well, I'm not sure many people know this about me. Now, there's a good way to start a sentence. I was engaged <laughs> for about 12 minutes and I emigrated in, in 2012. I emigrated to Australia. This may be an exclusive on your, oh on your podcast, guys, because no one has ever asked me about a plot twist in my own life. I was engaged and I moved to Australia. He was in Sydney and I moved to Australia in 2012, much to the dismay of my family and all my friends and some producers here who were like, wait, what, what, what are we doing? <laughs> and I moved there and realised it was the biggest mistake of my life. And I turned around and came home and I had emigrated for eight days. <laughs> And oh then I, I, I mean, obviously I can joke about it now, but it was quite upsetting at the time. Mm. So I moved back before my freight of stuff had arrived in Australia. <laughs> oh my God. Then I had to wait four months for all my stuff to come back because other stuff on the freight was a bit dodge. You know, I was sharing a freight with somebody and their stuff was a bit, was a bit dodge. So I lived, I was doing the West End Old Vic run of Kiss Me Kate, playing the lead woman, Lily Vanessi, out of two suitcases. And the director at the time, the magnificent Sir Trevor Nunn, said, we don't need to tell anybody about that, that you're living out of two suitcases. And I did the whole run with two suitcases of belongings with all my stuff on the other side of the world. Oh, my God. And, uh, and he was wonderful. He said, right, I know you've had a, a horrendous time. We're going to get this done. You're going to focus on this. And uh, he's remained one of the huge huge parts of my life because he chose me for that and for a little night music and when I rang him to say I'm coming back I'm coming back because I was meant to just be going out there to get set up and then come back to London for the run and then go back to Australia and he went no no we're not going to tell anybody we're going to you you just carry on telling everyone that you're based in Australia you come here and do the run it's nobody's business come here do the run I will support you and then you go back it was, uh, yeah, the mother of all plot twists. Wow. And is that something that you had a gut feeling about that you hoped was going to pan out? Or did you just suddenly have a moment where you were like, this isn't right? And I, the reason I asked that is my question was around like instinct and gut feeling. Like, are you someone who is very led by kind of your instinct about? Very led by yeah. my gut. Yeah. Um, I I have an immense sense of what's right or wrong very quickly. And I got there. And I realised that for whatever reasons, I had made a massive mistake and just thought, mm. what in my head, I could hear my beloved paternal grandmother going, what are you doing, kid? In really? my head, I could hear her going, come on, girl, back. Mm. And at the time, it felt like, you know, when you go to Funfair... And you feel there's the, the, if you're picking up a cuddly toy mm. and there's the metal hand that comes down and squeezes the toy and picks it up. 
I felt like some higher being had, even though it was on, it was excruciatingly painful emotionally at the time. I feel mm. like a hand went, "Come here, no, no, no! You are not meant to be here where the water goes down the plug hole wrong way. You are meant to be at home in England." And that's how it felt. It felt like I was plucked away from Australia and deposited back here. It's the most expensive plot twist ever. <laughs> <laughs> was was that when you when you actually got there? Was or was that the mindset in the build up and then on the plane journey? Well, no, because going there, I had arranged to do a solo concert in Bangkok. So instead of the producers flying me, <laughs> instead of the, I thought, how can I get around this massive cost of moving, moving to Australia? Um, <laughs> instead of uh, the producers flying me back from Bangkok, I got them to fly me on to Australia and then realised so quickly, I just thought, oh, God. I mean, for me, I mean, too many reasons to go into. But yeah, like you say, Francesca, really quickly, I was just like, what, what have you done? And nice, and a nice thing now. I I am friendly with my ex, and it wasn't right for him. Ultimately, he was not in a good place at the time when I did it. But um, I think we both realised, in retrospect, that it was it was right for both of us. Dun dun dun. No, I, that was a great plot twist, as you say. I love that we good. might have just scooped a little exclusive there. Yeah, because yeah. um, we didn't we didn't know whether the plot twist would be your move from sort of stage into small screen, because was it always the ambition to do that or was that an unexpected? It wasn't ever the ambition to move completely. It was never my intention really to spend so much time in musical theatre and not do screen. But this is why I always get on my soapbox about musical theatre people being included on screen. I never thought the transition would be so horrifically difficult. And I had been doing screen from maybe my mid-twenties, so that's 20 years ago now, but never making the kind of headway that I had hoped and possibly expected might be possible. Because I just thought, well, hold on, if I'm a leading lady in the West End and have been for years and years, why are you seemingly not interested in me on screen? Mm. And that was not in an egotistical way. It was in a, a baffled kind of... Well, hold on. Why? How is it I I can clearly be accepted and maybe be quite good at this bit, but then nobody's wanting mm. to know screen-wise? And I actually even said to my team all the way back when, I said, it's all very well and good being thrown little bones of, oh, come and do this scene, come and do that scene, come and do two eps. But it was always feeding into someone else's story who was established in mm. it as though people in mm. theatre are kind of given little snippets and tidbits and here you are, oh, aren't you lucky to be on screen? And when you are all given so little, you start to believe that that's all you're worthy of. And if you asked a lot of people in the West End, they go, no, I'm not really a screen actor. And I just think, yes, you are, but you've been told that you're not. All it takes mm -hmm. would be for casting directors or producers to go, right, what I need from you is this. And even from like the, the bit I did on the, the Les Miserables film, I even picked a fight on that because I was just like, don't presume that we are only this. We are this because it's mm. what's required of us on stage. If you ask us to bring it down yeah. and specifically in what ways, then we'll bring it down. We'll make the performance smaller. Mm. So 
I feel like it was David Benioff and Dan Weiss, the two execs on Game of Thrones, that finally said, no, actually, we believe you've got something, come in. And then it's amazing how once people like them have said, oh, no, she's all right, actually, then other people are like, oh, no, we think she's all right as well. (laughs) Is is that just a general mentality to stage performers? Yes, I think it is. Tom, I yeah. think it's. I think it's. That's why I bang on about it, and I don't care who hears, hears me saying it because it should change. It should change. It's it's awful. People in TV. It's always a known fact that if people in TV go, oh, I feel like doing some theatre. Theatre will bend over backwards to have people in if they're right for mm-hmm. the part or they put bums on seats or whatever. The other way round. I've literally been in in auditions when I was younger for screen work. And they look at your CV and they go, oh, you do this singing thing in a disparaging manner. It's quite bizarre because often you see people on stage and I've watched a few shows in the West End. You think, how are you not on this, you know, a big HBO show or because they're so talented? Yeah, they're not. They're not considered in the same breath. They are on Broadway and it is much Mm. better. Don't get me wrong. It is really, really much better here than it was. But I'm talking about back in the day, like 15, 20 years ago, when when I was trying to, you know, beat both drums. I'm not saying I was trying to completely, I would never abandon my theatre roots because I am a theatre girl in my core. Even Mm. last week when I, for half term, I took my daughter to Wicked and I took her to Mamma Mia. When the band strikes up and I hear the first note, I was basically not far off tears because it's it's in my blood. It's in my blood, mm. you know. It, I can't help it. It's just, it's just how it is. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We had uh, Luke Evans. He said a similar thing that he was almost right on the verge of quitting, and then got his got his chance, and then suddenly burst into the movie scene. Of course, he's gone on to a lot of success since then. But uh, you mentioned Game of Thrones. He and I have talked about that actually, about uh, being two of the few that have been let in, which in itself is ridiculous. Yeah, mm. well, we're both glad that both of you have made it. Really <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned Game of Thrones. Um, again, both super fans. I thought I'd read you a quote to begin with before asking you a couple of questions oh, okay. on, on this feature. Uh, this was just something on YouTube. And I've got to say, actually, when it comes to YouTube comments, you are just universally loved, whether it's a Super Bowl ad, whether oh. it's an appearance on a Late Late Show with Corden, whatever it is. It's just so much positivity. I love it. Oh. Well, that. I try to not read them because, you know... I've never read a review in my life and I kind of take it like that. It's lovely that people leave comments, but it takes one to make you go, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I'll read you this one because it kind of summarises perhaps what most people think. Oh, God. um, Oh, God. Oh, God. Tom, what are you doing? (laughs) So this was on a, a, a talk show in the US, but can't believe this hilarious, charming, silly smoke show was set to Unella in Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to go some to be as rough in real life as I was in, in Game of Thrones. I always think that Septunella looked like Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars. <laughs> You're so crazy. I, I just think, oh, my God, that is not my finest hour. But the thing I do like about it, with that wimple, for the listeners, I'm now pointing to my chin, the wimple covers part of your throat and your jaw. And if you're doing lots of looking down like I was, it's quite good that you can't see three chins because the wimple's there. <laughs> <laughs> and also, no matter, no, matter how, um, no matter how rough I looked, I could have a sleep in my trailer if they didn't need me yet, and it didn't matter because I needed to look Amazing. as rough as old arseholes. Yeah. <laughs> 
we talked about kind of the level of fame and people knowing who you are and strange interactions. How many times do people walk up to you ringing an invisible bell and say, shame? Shame. shame. They used to a lot, but I had one nightmare experience once when I was on a plane with my daughter when she was about three, fully in mummy mode at like five o'clock in the morning going somewhere, I can't remember where it was. And I hadn't bothered putting any makeup yet. And note to self, because the chap (laughs) sitting next to me, I got all settled. I was giving her, you know, like a bottle to stop her ears popping and stuff. Totally, totally not thinking about myself. And he leant over and went, would I be right in thinking you can ring my bell? And I was like, oh, Oh my God, that is such a hideous (laughs) thing to say to someone. Then I had to sit next to him. And make conversation, because oh, no. he wanted to, for four hours. Oh. And I thought, Hannah, next time, whack a little bit of makeup on and then maybe you won't <laughs> recognise you, because I look so rough. <laughs> it's, a, it's a universally used saying in my household. Like, if my partner like loads the dishwasher wrong, which really? he always does, I'll go over, shame. No! Shame. <laughs> All the time. If there's, like, clothes on the floor, shame. All the time. <laughs> I use it as the gif, yeah. I let use me, it as my let best friend. Let me show you my bell. Stay there, 30 seconds. Oh, she's getting the bell. Oh, my gosh, we're seeing the bell. This yeah. Is iconic. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Can we get? Can we get a bell ring and then a shame? Just that we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to remember that it's not just you, us three. And God knows where you're going to put this. Look, can I just show you something? It says, with love from Ryan... Peter, they are the props department on Game of Thrones. And on the other side, I don't know if you can read that. Look what it says. Shame, Shame on, on you. you. Props That's department, GOT season six. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's one ticks off the bucket My life list. has been made. I should probably just leave now. I don't know if I've got anything else to ask. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that was brilliant. Just just one more thing on, on Game of Thrones. What was, because you came in, I think, series five and six. Yeah. And at that point, it really had got to this unprecedented level. Yeah. What was it like for you to kind of step into that? I mean, it must have been, it's been buzzing. Well, well, I had been doing so much theatre that I hadn't actually watched Game of Thrones at all. And I knew it was this crazy, crazy world love, the most loved, the most watched of all time ever, everything, juggernaut. But the funny thing is, when I I had, so I had my first audition, and then when I had the second one, I was meeting David Benioff and Dan Weiss. I was nearly eight and a half months pregnant. You know when a woman's face becomes pregnant right at the end? (laughs) I was fully ready to pop. And I went along, basically, not thinking for a second that they would take me on. And also because I was always had the paranoia of, oh, I've come from theatre, they're not going to be interested in me, but I'll go along and say hi anyway. And because I was pregnant, I thought, oh, well, I'll say hello for next time. And it was crazy because, because I didn't really have a knowledge of the show. I knew it was so huge. I was kind of a bit intimidated by it. So I thought, mm. well, I'm just going to go and say hi. And then David Benioff and Dan Weiss, it was David, said to me, so you know about Cersei. And I went, do you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I I do to a point, but I haven't watched it. Their eyes nearly popped out on stalks. 
But I just want to know in basic terms, because I do know that this character doesn't give a shit about who she is dealing with, and that's part of her beauty. She mm. doesn't care that Cersei is who she is. She makes people atone for their behaviour. And this is just another person. And Septa Unella is absolutely revolted by the fact that this woman has had incestuous relations with her brother. Mm. And <laughs> so she is acting on behalf of the High Sparrow, whom I think she has strange feelings for, even if she doesn't understand them herself, and probably goes into her cell and flagellates and all the rest of it. <laughs> so I, they said, what do you want to know? And I said, I just want to know the exact power balance in a percentage of Cersei to Septa Unella. And they went, in this moment, 100% Unella, zero Cersei, especially when she says to her, I could make you a very wealthy woman, and she hits around the face with a ladle. And I was like, that's all I need to know. That's wow. pretty powerful. Yeah. And I think cool. it helped me, the fact that I was very honest with them and said, look, I want to do this justice. I want to do exactly, I need to just know the balance. I need to know whether this character gives a shit who this woman is or not. And they went, she couldn't care less. And maybe, if anything, the fact that she knows that she is this queen, maybe that would make her enjoy it even more. And I was like, got it, let's do it. <laughs> It's part of the attraction almost that is stepping further away from who you are. And that's as, as an actor, that isn't attractive. It's the thing that thing I've never, do. this show now in terms of appearance is the most like me I've ever been, which I like <laughs> in some ways because it means I can just concentrate on Rebecca's detail and history. Mm. But in another way, I don't like it because I like to fully immerse myself whether it's theatre or on stage. I have something coming out in, I, I think it's towards the end of the year, I've done the adaptation of Tom Jones for ITV and I'm playing Lady Bellaston. And I love the fact that it's full, you know, white powdered yeah. wigs and all the rest of yeah. it. I love that when I can fully forget myself. And that is the theatre girl in me. I don't care what I look like on screen or on stage as long as I'm taking people where I need to take them emotionally. I think Septunella was very unforgettable. And we're, like Tom said, we love Game of Thrones. We're really excited for House of the Dragon, the prequel yes. that's coming out later this year. So there's a lot of eager fans waiting. Well, yes. Solly, who I did Tom Jones with, is one of the main boys in it, I think. And any spoilers, any inside gossip? No, of course not. <laughs> oh, Don't know anything. Don't look to me. Oh. Well, speaking of <laughs> auditions, we touched on Rebecca and Ted Lasso earlier, but I was reading that in a way you feel that you manifested that role. Yeah. Is it true that you sort of went into your garden and yeah. Yeah. talk us through talk us through what I happened. went into my garden here. My daughter was three at the time and she had been desperately ill. I was out shooting Krypton for Warner Brothers and Sci-Fi in Belfast. And she was desperately ill, which I won't go into now because it's still uh, very harrowing for me. And I was back and forth and the producers, uh, Shoebucket and the cast were amazing. And I would literally have to drop out and they would rally people around from all over the place to bring up scenes that weren't due yet just to cover me so that I could disappear off and get back to my girl. 
And Aww. thankfully, she got better. It was all a bit touch and go. It was really very serious. And as she was becoming better and I was getting back to a, a, a more normal work schedule and I, I rapped on Krypton and I thanked everyone there. I, I spoke to the crew and all the cast that were amassed on the last day and said, you people are amazing. And I, I'm so blessed that I was in this job when this happened. I came home from that and I said to my team here in NLA, I said, look, I, I know that things are going brilliantly and I'm so grateful for it. It's, it's a weird time in my life for it to be happening. You don't think your career is going to rev up during your 40s and being a mother. You think it's going to mm-hmm. slow down a bit and accepting of that because that was my choice. But I'm going to have to say I can't go through again what I went through when I first found out she was ill and I was stuck in Belfast and I couldn't get back to her. Mm. And I said to them, I'm going to have to just take things here. I will go back to doing more concert work, which is a privilege anyway, but I'm going to go back to doing more of that, more voiceover work. And there was a kind of universal silence on the phone because obviously they wanted to rev it up even more than the way it was going. And I just said, that's the way it is. I'm a mummy first. I've waited a long time to become a mother, to choose the moment. I didn't bring her out of hospital till I was on my 40th birthday. She comes first and that is an end of it. And Mm. they all went, okay. And um, I stood on my decking that night just out here. And I looked up at the sky and I imagined that there was nobody else standing on the globe apart from me. And I thanked the universe and said, thank you for making my baby well. She's the only thing that really matters to me. Could I ask that if I'm going to be here with her, could I ask that for once a job is absolutely tailor-made to me? Can I for once not be the also-ran on screen? Can I for once have something that will highlight everything that I feel like I can bring to the table? And I don't want you to feel like I'm being arrogant. I want the detail that I can bring to something to be used to the nth degree. Keep her well and safe, but let me provide for her in a manner that I know I'm capable of. Can I please ask her that it's something here and that it's really significant and is comedy and is drama. And if you want to throw some singing in there, I'd be so grateful. I will be eternally grateful. And literally two months later, this meeting came in and I said to them, look, I'm really interested in that. They said it's with Jason Sudeikis. It's it's this, that. And I went, can I, can I just stop you there? I'm not going to go to LA and do a job. I'm not going to do it. So stop talking because you'll woo me and I don't want you to. And they said, no, no, it films here. And it took my breath away. And then when I went for the chemistry read with Jason, Warner Brothers flew me out to meet him. I went into the meeting, still not quite knowing where it was filming and I said, so where is, what, what's the fictional football team? And he said, it's going to be AFC Richmond. And I went, Richmond, as in, where, where are you, are you filming part of it here and part of it in LA? Because I still would have said no at that time when she was the age she was. And, uh, and he went, no, in, in, in Richmond, Richmond. And I went, Richmond in Surrey, Richmond in Surrey that's half an hour from my house. And he went, yeah, where else would we do it? We need the green, we need the pub, we need the... And I was like, if I don't get this fucking part. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I came back and I said to him, whoever gets this part, thank you for considering me. I I can feel her rippling through my bloodstream. 
if it's not me, thank you for your time. I think you're wicked. And that was that. Didn't you ask if she can sing? And then you kind of gave a little No, I said at the end of the meeting, it was Bill Rubel, who's one of our main writers and executive producers, from the darkness of this room said, oh, by the way, but when we'd finished this kind of near two-hour chemistry read, he said, by the way, I must just say I love your work in the West End and on Broadway and in like a face in the dark. I was like, oh, God, thank you so much. I I didn't realise any of you were really aware of that. And um, and I said, as we walked out, Kimberly Pope, the casting director out there, who was really integral in, in me being cast, I I said to her, but Rebecca doesn't sing, does she? And Jason was walking in front of us and under his breath went, she does now. Oh, wow. And I was like... I love that. It gave me goosebumps listening to that story. Yeah, and I felt, even when you were talking before, I just felt emotional. I was... <laughs> well, that's why I find it hard to talk about because it was it was a life-changing moment for many reasons because I was standing by my girl but asking for something I'd never asked for and felt like I was being cheeky because of my theatre background, because I'd never been fully let in. I felt like I was being cheeky even asking. I felt like I was being arrogant saying, can you please use what I'm capable of? And I thought, "Ah, people don't get what they ask for. And it was like somebody had gone, do you know what, girl, you deserve it now. And they always say, yeah. don't they, that what's meant for you will make its way yeah. to you. And I'm a firm believer, especially when you've had a more challenging period, that the universe has a way of coming yeah. back round to try and kind of and give you that uplift. And it was so challenging. And I don't know how I got through it, my girl being ill. It was like I had coped with that. And then it was like the universe went, do you know what? Well done. <laughs> Let's give you this. The world needs to see because you. maybe you've yeah. got to... Mm. I was 45, 44, no, 44. And, uh, and I just thought, I'm being ridiculous, but I might as well ask. So I would say to your listeners, just trust... And just, just ask because it might just happen. One mm. one thing on that, and we will move on to plot twist. Person, quite interested to know that. And you, you kind of referenced it there, and I think it's so lovely to see that you mentioned about being in your forties, and that there has been this sort of stigma and stereotype where careers can perhaps go the opposite way. But for you, it's completely gone. Oh my god! You know, it's gone to a whole new trajectory, a whole new level. Yeah. And that's so lovely to see. Yeah, it's got a whole level, which is why I appreciate it so much. And everyone always goes, oh, you're so grateful. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not fake. I am grateful because I can't even bear thinking about how awfully, horribly wrong it could have gone with my girl. It was very, mm. very hairy at the time. and um, But I think the fact that I was fully accepting of the fact that Maybe I had had my best moments. And if that was on the West End stage and my stint on Broadway, then what a privilege that was in the first place. All this is absolute sugar on top. And thank goodness that you did get that role and it did come around because we touched on it earlier. Yes. But we, I laughed in an interview that you gave that you talked about the Ted Lasso effect. And I don't think I've ever watched a series that has made me cry with laughter as much as it has with cry with poignant moments. And I think the key thing that I've taken out of it that I just love is just the power of kindness. Like Absolutely. that relentless finding the best in people. It's just got such a brilliant message. We need more of that. I feel like people had perhaps become quite cynical and it had become like 
Do you know what I've always disliked? And I know people find them funny. I don't like roasts. This this thing of, of roasting what? people, it's not for me. I don't like it. I think it's people being really clever and quite barbed. And it's just not for me personally. I just mm. don't like them. I think it can be funny to a point, And then I think it can be quite unkind. And that's just me. Um, and I think there is a lot of humour in that which isn't unkind or poking fun or whatever. And I love the fact that our writers are so brilliant. That's why I always call them a load of Jedi Knights. They're so brilliant that you don't need to be vicious or clever or bitchy or underhand to someone or saying, oh, no, no, I'm only joking, when you can tell that people aren't and they're just enjoying being a bit barbed. It's never been for me, and that's just personal preference. And I love that the Ted Lasso whole vibe and ethos, whether it's on screen or off with us as a collective, there's not a nasty, shitty, horrible, mm. anyone thinking they're any more important than anyone else person. We have an absolute no assholes policy. <laughs> and you can feel it on screen. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it. Sorry, I reacted there because I thought you meant roast dinner for a second. Oh, God, I, I did like, think I got Tom started laughing again. and I was like, I think he's gone for the wrong roast. Yeah, yeah, I am a about roast food again. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's ask you a plot twist question and quickly move on from that. Um, <laughs> person, has there been someone, perhaps an unexpected force behind the scenes for you that has supported you or elevated you in some way that you might not have seen or foreseen? I mean, my initial reaction is to Trevor Nunn. Because I was always intimidated by him because he is known as the main Shakespearean guru. And I mean, I think there's literally like one or maybe two Shakespeare's that he's never directed. And I remember hearing about him and thinking, oh, God, he's never going to be interested in me because I'm from musical theatre. I mean, we all do as a as a breed. Musical theatre performers do themselves down all the time. They're like... We get called turns, we get called twirlies, we get called all these things. And you think, oh, I'm never going to be any good for TV. I'm never going to be any good for Shakespeare. I'm never... Cut to Sir Trevor Nunn and I absolutely meeting and having a meeting of minds and spiritually. And he was the greatest champion of my work. Mm. And I feel like he taught me to be a better actor. And, and the things that have come from it, um, he is in part responsible for. I love that there's always, there can be just some person that can have just a single conversation. It can just change your, your own mindset yeah. or perspective. Yeah, he made me go, what are you talking about? He literally would go, oh, don't be ridiculous. Oh, no, no, I can't do, I know, no, I can't do Shakespeare. And he was like, right, so you're a musical, you're a singer. Why do you think you couldn't do Shakespeare? And he made mm -hmm. it all right. He even got all our ensemble in Kiss Me Kate and did like a Shakespearean workshop with everyone, even the people on stage who were dancing and didn't even speak. Wow. To make it accessible Amazing. and all right. I have another plot twist question. Now, we sometimes ask this question and we sometimes don't. So we've learned a lot about you today and we've read a lot about you. So we know you're a silly sausage. We know you've got the Game of Thrones bell. We know you love ding, crisps ding. and you don't like roasts in terms of the comedy kind, Yeah, but you do like them in terms of the eating I kind. do like them in terms of the don't, if anyone tries to take my Yorkshire pudding, I'll smack your bloody hand <laughs> there, away. There will be violence. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, there's a lot out there when you're on a platform that people can find out about you, but is there anything 
that people don't know about you that they'd be surprised to know? Or do you think we've really unearthed all the juicy bits? In this um, well, obviously, there are things I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> I'm obsessed with and wanting to desperately be in anything in the Star Wars world. Obsessed. Like, literally cried my eyes out during The Last Jedi. But no, I mean, I am quite an open book because I think it's quite healthy to be in general. If I hadn't been in this career, I might have wanted to be an interpreter. I love language. Do you speak other languages? I speak a very good lot of Italian and, uh, yeah, French as well. And I probably would have done that, I think. That's very interesting. Who would be your dream Star Wars character to play? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That's the big question. I would have quite liked to have been... Emperor, Empress Palpatine. Ooh. Being a nasty shit. If, if anyone's listening out there, <laughs> you know. Just... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as much as I, I love the rebellion, and I obviously, if I ever met Mark Hamill, I think I wouldn't be able to speak. I don't think I would be able to speak. <laughs> It'd be pretty epic. But, yeah, I think, I think I'd have to be on the dark side. <laughs> and I'd definitely want a Darth Maul double-ended lightsaber. That would be pretty epic. This is brilliant. I love this. <laughs> just, just before we we, uh, we do wrap up, Hannah, there's just a couple of quick questions I was interested in. Your mum was an opera singer, is an opera singer, correct yes. me if I'm wrong. Yes. Um, when, when you're singing, how, is she critical? Is she, uh, does she have a, a She's different She's not critical, but all my life, I mean, she was a principal at Covent Garden before I was born. Then she stopped for 11 years to bring up me and my brother. And then she went back into the chorus at the English National Opera at the London Coliseum. So her chops are magnificent, as we call it in the business. Good chops. And both her parents were opera singers in the Isle of Man. So it's very much in my blood, that operatic world, which is probably where I get the whale part of my voice, not W-H-W-A. And whenever I did shows... She would kind of, because opera singers tend to not speak from their larynx. They kind of float their voices when they talk to protect the instrument. So my mum would go, does that not hurt you when you sing like that? (laughs) I think it was her way of saying, I don't like it. (laughs) And she always used to say that she thought it sounded like I was shouting. And then when I did the Pirate Queen at the London Coliseum, uh, Bubil and Schoenberg's lesser known, you know, the, the composers of, of Les Miserables, they did The Pirate Queen and I played Queen Elizabeth I, you know, in her Gloriana period, playing mm. the high operatic soprano role. My mum came backstage in her own theatre that she'd been in for 27 years, came to my dressing room, gave me a squeeze and went, there we go, much better. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky minx. Did that start your love with the theatre? Because I suppose there was all that exposure yes. that you, you would have always been around it. Sitting in the stalls of the London Coliseum from the age of eight until she retired when I was 37 mm. was oh, my wow. groundwork. You know, I would sit and watch. I knew everyone in the chorus. I knew all the principals. I would stand at the stage door and of an evening they'd all go, oh, night, Hannah, night, Hannah, night, all these amazing people. And I'm sure oh. the people that were amassed at the stage door to get autographs would think, who is this child that they're all <laughs> saying goodbye to? I would just watch them working on stage. I would listen to Willard White and Josephine Barstow, these amazing opera singers on stage, Sally Burgess in Carmen. 
And it was my world and I didn't realise that it was anything special. It was essentially mm. me sitting there because my parents didn't have childcare. And it just captured wow. me and I would listen to how... I re Without realising, I obviously listened to where these opera singers who don't sing with microphones would place their sound. And I, would, mm. I was just a good mimic. Oh, more than that, Hannah. Significantly more than that. More than that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, look, we've loved talking to you. Just just before we do go, is there anything coming up? Obviously, you've got the filming of Ted Lasso imminently, but is there anything else that we, we can see you in? I'm in the new Fox animation called Crapopolis. Um, Dan <laughs> Harmon, you know, he does Rick and Morty. Dan Harmon mm -hmm. has made this ridiculous, hilarious story of ancient Greece. And I play Deliria, who's an absolutely awful goddess. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming out. Um, I'm also in something else that'll be coming out that hasn't been announced and I can't tell you about. And oh, also the Tom Jones fabulous, fabulous. Well, I mean, to say remake is, is an insult to it because it's really going to be quite something. And then another thing that I can't tell you about either. Oh, goodness. so many exciting secret things. I know. One's really exciting that I'm I'm going to be starting on fairly soon. I, or what I will say is, it's something that my daughter will very much enjoy. Oh, okay. Ooh, click, click. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll be announced in a few weeks. I'm like, that was it. That's what she was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for going on Plot Twist. We've You're so loved welcome. You. Thank you so much. I've loved rambling at you. <laughs> was the lovely, crisp, adoring, operatic singing, <laughs> bell ringing, <laughs> Anna Waddingham. Who loves a roast, as in a roast dinner, but doesn't love a roast of a celebrity. <laughs> and I can only apologise again for momentarily getting confused and reacting like I did. I don't normally react like that. It was so <laughs> good. To. It was so good. Oh, I could gosh. see you kind of going, what? She doesn't like roast dinners. As she was making a very profound point, yeah, and the moment yeah. the penny dropped, I could see you be like, ah, I've I misread that one. <laughs> yeah. Here comes the apology. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yes, I really, I really felt the need to apologise. It really made me laugh. Yes, moving on. What a plot twist as well. I mean, talk about a, perhaps a world exclusive as well. That's I quite know. something. And an interesting one. I like that she talked about that grabbing machine, picking you up and putting you back yeah. on the right path yeah. and having that gut feeling. I'm a firm believer of a gut feel. You do need to follow yeah, that. It often, well, most of the time it will guide you in the right direction. Yeah. If it almost feels like there's been a few times in her career, you know, the sort of the moment with Ted Lasso and then going out into the garden, that there's been these sort of moments that have guided her mm. and then sort of steered her into, into her next phase of her life. And yeah, just imagine, oh, we talk about sliding doors. Imagine how different her life would have been if she just thought, no, stick it out another week. You know, could she have then stayed for longer? You just, mm. amazing. And it was very touching to hear her talk about her daughter. And every time she spoke mm. about her daughter, she just... felt really emotional. Yeah, and she just sort of lit up talking about how important her daughter is in her life and what becoming a mum meant to her. And you can see that, that her being a mum is so at the core of who she is as a person and everything mm. else falls second to that. But amazing, yeah, that Ted Lasso lands on her lap and it is literally 30 minutes down the road from her house. Yes, yeah, unheard of. And, and also the production that she did 
when her daughter was ill that she was saying that they kind of then rearranged scenes and sets i mean that's not usual in tv and film no. so it's amazing how that all kind of then played out and then leads on to ted lasso but the other thing that was interesting when she talks about her passion you know for the theater but also about those that are performing in the theater having mm. opportunities elsewhere and that sometimes you can kind of be put in, in in a bracket and actually it's like no you you can do more you're more than capable yeah it was interesting she felt that that was a one-way door that people mm. from tv are welcome in the theater but when it's back the other way that's a very difficult door to open and like you say such a shame if there's such great talent like her waiting you know to be in these amazing roles it would be such a shame to be not given shame. that opportunity shame <laughs> 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 i say we interview Brian Cox. We get the famous succession line said to us, career highlight. But to have Hannah Waddingham ding the actual bell from Game of the Thrones bell. and say, shame. shame. I just feel, should we just end the series here? Well, I don't think we should end it, but it certainly should be in our CVs at the very least. Absolutely. Uh, I've been, yeah, I've been shamed be by Hannah Waddingham. That's me done. <laughs> Mic drop and I'm out. <laughs> oh, amazing. That was a fantastic chat. Big thank you to Hannah Waddingham for coming on Plot Twist and talking us through all uh, projects and what an amazing career that she's had. And also some very exciting projects apparently coming up, which we're, like yeah. you, going to have to stay tuned to hear more about. Yeah, definitely be looking out for that. And on that note, Fran, we'll see everyone next week. We'll see you then. Ciao. Ciao.